Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised was given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What am I saying that is as... uh, Sorry, what, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Good morning. Uh, G'day, my name's Scott. Uh, Welcome if you're visiting and new this morning. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, I hope to meet you afterwards. That'd be great. Uh, We will have uh, some time afterwards for questions uh, related to the passage that we're talking about or any issues that are raised out of it. Uh, So, yeah, as we go, uh, write anything down, any questions you've got, and uh, we'll have a chance to talk about those afterwards. I can't see our slides. Have we got... Thank you. Thanks, lads up the back. You're doing it wrong. Now, uh, for those who can't see that photo properly, you'll have to sort of look for a screen there. Uh, It's a photo of a woman bending down and drinking, and the caption asks, why are the drinking fountains so short in Europe? Uh, But it turns out the drinking fountain she's drinking water from is actually a bidet. Uh, And for those... uh, uninitiated, a bidet is not where you fill your drink bottle, but where you wash your bum, uh, which is why it's in the bathroom right next to the toilet. I don't know about you, but that just creeps me out. I hate, I hate, oh, it makes my skin crawl. 
I think if I had discovered that I had been drinking from a bidet uh, as a water fountain, I think I would scull a whole bottle of Listerine to try and clean my insides out. Now, those of us who are over 30 might not realise that there's a whole internet world uh, of, of these kinds of pictures, and they often come with the caption, you're doing it wrong. And uh, you're doing it wrong is exactly the message that Paul's been giving to the Galatians throughout the whole of this letter so far. To the Galatians and the Jews who were trying to be accepted by God based on what they do, who were trying to be accepted by God by following the Old Testament law, Paul says, you're doing it wrong. That's not what the law is for. It can't make you righteous. Stop drinking from that fountain. It's not what you think it is. And so then, as we get to this part of the letter, Paul's really stressed, that's not what the law's for. You're doing it wrong. So you've got to ask the question, don't you? Well, then what is the law for? Why did an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise God give a law if it doesn't do the thing that we thought it was supposed to do? if it doesn't make us right with him? Well, it's a good question. And here in verse 19, it's the question that Paul starts with. Have a look. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Good. We're done now. Clear as mud? No, not quite. Well, let's dig in a little deeper. What is the law? Now, hopefully that not too many of us have spent the night behind one of these uh, through our lives. But, you know, actually, we could think of the law a little bit like a prison cell door. You know, those really thick steel doors with a tiny little window with some bars on it. And, you know, the little slot where they slide it open to slide your tray of slop in for breakfast. Uh, we could think of the law a little bit like one of those doors. The door locks us in and keeps us in. And you've got just enough of a window that you can glimpse through it to realise that out there is freedom, but in here you're not free. Paul says that here in verse 22, that like a prison door, Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. Verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. See, Paul's saying here that God didn't give us the law to free us from sin and bring us to righteousness. God actually gave us the law to lock us in. Now, I don't know about you, but that, for a lot of us, I think that's a real, seems upside down, it seems backwards to how we've thought. And just like a prison door means we can't escape from our cell, the law, the scripture that God gave to the Jews, actually makes sure there's no way or no room to escape. And it does this by making it so clear, so obvious what sin is, that we are shown to be criminals. It's so obvious now because we have the law that says what sin is, that we are sinners. The law, in effect, it's like that big hard door reminding us 
we've been found out, we've been caught, and we are now trapped, and there's no room to wriggle out of it. Now, I want you to imagine uh, that uh, you're in a land with no road rules, uh, except there is one road rule. Uh, the only rule is, if you cause the accident, you're at fault. You've got to pay it all. That's the only rule. So go out, knock yourselves out, just don't hit anyone. And then uh, one day you find yourself in court uh, because you've pulled a U-turn on a huge highway and another car coming the other direction ran into you. Now, without a law, you might try and argue that it wasn't your fault. Well, no, sh she hit me, judge. Oh, no, hang on, he caused the accident because he did a dodgy U-turn in front of me and I was doing 100k an hour. No, no, she's the one at fault. I didn't cause the accident, she did. You see how there's not clarity. It's it feels like there's room to wriggle, even though it might be obvious that you're at fault. But once you have road rules, once you've got those big, thick lines down the middle and you've got laws that say you're not allowed to U-turn across the solid lines, well, what these laws do, they actually give clarity. And they kind of lock us up and hold us captive in that sin. And they kind of take out the leg that we thought we had to stand on. They show actually you were in the wrong because you clearly broke the law. That is what God gave the law to do, to lock us up in sin. But why? Why? Why did God give the law to lock us up? Well, it's there in the rest of these verses. Verse 22. Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. See, if you're in a cell without a door, you might think that you're really free. You might think, oh, I can just walk out of here. I'm not in prison. But if you try it, you're still going to get tasered by the guards. You are... But when that big door slams shut and makes that loud kind of noise it does on the movies, then you know exactly where you are. You know that you're in big trouble. You know that you can't get yourself out of there. And what you end up doing is you end up realising that you need someone to save you. It makes you look for a saviour. See, the law doesn't just lock us up and show us that we cannot escape. The law locks us up and shows us that we need a saviour. And in the law comes the promise. Before the law, there was the promise. The law makes us look for the coming of that promise. The one who holds the key to free us so we can call out and be saved. So why the law? so that we can be justified through faith in the one that God had promised would come and rescue us. 
And so that brings us to when. When did the law matter? Verse 25, Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. See, the law was there for a time. It was temporary. It locked us up so that, as we just saw, when Christ came, we would call out to him and be saved. Be saved, rescued from under the law, rescued from that prison of our sin. And so what that means is that once Christ has come, there's no need for that law anymore, is there? It's done its job. And Paul says that that law was a temporary guardian in chapter 4, verse 1. What I'm saying is this, says Paul, as long as an heir, now an heir is someone, uh, a son or a daughter who's going to inherit something. Usually you talk about an heir, sort of an heir to the throne, like royalty. Um, So an heir, as long as they're underage, they're still a child, they're no different from a slave, even though they own the whole estate. The heir is actually subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So what Paul's saying here is that until they grow up and come of age, even though they might be the prince over the whole kingdom, until they come of age, they still have to serve and obey and submit to someone and they've got no more right than than a slave does to walk out and start ordering people around. Verse 3, Paul says, So... When we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This one's uh, for our history buffs. Can anyone tell me uh, what happened on the 31st of August, 1422? I'll narrow it down. In England. 13th of August, 1422, in England. No? Anyone? No? That's all right. I wouldn't have had a clue. I'm not a history buff. Well, that was the day that Henry VI, you heard of that guy, became king of England and France. But even though that was the day, 1422, that he became king, it was a whole 15 years before he would actually rule as king. See, when Henry VI became king, he was only eight months old. He didn't even know he was king. And so even though the whole kingdom was his, poor old King Henry had to submit to a guardian. He had, to, he had no power to wield, no, ex, no authority to exercise. He gave no commands until the time came when he was old enough to rule, until he came of age. Until that time, there was a temporary government 
which acted as guardian. But that, that temporary government was just that, temporary. Once the king came of age, there was no more room for this government. And that's the point that Paul is making here, is that the Jews, under the law that God had given through Moses, even though the Jews were sons of Abraham, even though they were sons, heirs, they were actually slaves under that law. They were actually under that guardian. And their status, in essence, was no different to that as slaves. Until the promise came. And so Paul is saying that even though they, they were looking forward to inheriting the promise, until the time came, they hadn't inherited yet. But then, when the time came, God the Father sent God the Son in the power of God the Spirit to be born into and under the law so that as someone who is subject to that law, he could be the only one that could actually fully obey and fulfill and complete it. And because he was the only one that fully obeyed and fulfilled and completed it, he actually was not imprisoned by it. He kind of broke open that prison, which is the law. And it meant that he could rescue all those who are in prison because now he has the key that unlocks the door. See, God had sent Christ to rescue the Jews from from under the law so that they could receive the promises that God had given to Abraham and so that all who came to Jesus could now enjoy the full status of being God's sons and daughters. No longer slaves. When was the law in effect? Only until the promise came. When did the law stop being in effect? Well, as soon as Jesus showed up. The Old Testament law that God gave through Moses is no longer in effect. And that's why a couple of weeks ago, as we looked at chapter 2, we saw that Paul the Apostle confronted Peter the Apostle. Do you remember? Remember how Peter the Apostle had expected non-Jews to live under the Jewish law. And Paul reminded Pete that he, a Jew as well, Paul and Pete, both Jews, that they didn't live under the law anymore. And so to expect non-Jews to live under the law was just complete hypocrisy. The, the law is done, Paul reminds us. The food laws, the rituals, the holy days, the sacrificial system, the temple, all of that is done and dusted. And so what that means is that anyone who is still living under that law, it's like they've gone back into an abandoned jail and locked themselves in an empty prison. Because that, that jail's out of commission, but they've gone and locked themselves back up. See, if we cling to the law, if we cling to what we do, to how good we are, to how well we follow God's rules... If we cling to that to make us right with God, we've actually turned our back on Jesus who came to save us. And you know, that means that those Jews 
who still today cling to that Old Testament law, refuse to cling to Jesus, they're actually still locked up in sin. Even though they were sons, they're actually slaves and they're not going to receive the promise. Now, some people will try and tell you that actually all Jews will be saved. No, they're they're descendants of Abraham. Of course they'll be saved. But actually, even if they share Abraham's DNA, if they don't actually cling to Jesus, they don't actually share in Abraham's promise. And they're not actually heirs of Abraham. They're not actually sons and daughters of God. See, the law is finished. But what about those 99% of us who aren't Jews? Uh, We were never under the law, but we were, says Paul, still slaves. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Now, who are you calling a slave, Paul? Come on, I'm a modern, self-made individual. I'm not a slave to anyone or anything. One of the things I've been noticing uh, more lately as my kids are growing up is actually just how much we really are slaves uh, to the society that we live in. Uh, it's, each of my kids are getting more and more concerned about fitting in with the people around them. It's just natural. It's normal. That's what it is to be human. And I think it's kind of magnified by being the new kids in town and so that anything that makes them stand out as different in any way is a problem. If their uniform's too old or too new, if the shoes that they, we bought them that fit the dress policy for the school happen to be different to everyone else's shoes that don't fit the dress policy, that's a problem. If they follow or play the wrong sport or cheer for the wrong team or have the wrong hobbies or know the wrong video games or they get the wrong haircut or mum and dad give them a hug at the wrong time in the wrong place, anything that makes them stand out is a problem. And I catch myself thinking, you know, why do you care about these things? These things, are, they don't matter. Why do you care what people think? And then I realise... I'm no different. When I was at their age, I cared about the same kinds of things that they care about. I was every much, every bit as much a slave to society as they were when I was their age. And actually, when I really think about it, I still am. Because I don't care anymore about the same things that I cared about when I was a kid. But things that I didn't care what other people thought when I was a kid, now I care about. See, we think we're not slaves, but we're actually slaves far more than we know. And we think we're self-made, but you didn't breastfeed yourself. You didn't change your nappies. You didn't put food on your table. No. We actually were slaves, says Paul, but to something much bigger, something much more sinister and darker than those things. See, we think that we are free. And we were not slaves to the Jewish law, but we were slaves to other gods, false gods, idols. 
Now, each week as we've gone through Galatians, Galatians has kind of brought up issues that touch on different false gospels, uh, different false good newses. Uh, and this week, uh, what this really touches on is, is that idea of other religions, other gods outside the Jewish faith, outside the Christian faith. And some of them are really obvious, aren't they? There are some really easily identifiable idols. Buddha, Allah, Krishna. But then there are some that are not so obvious. The gods of self, the god of image, the god of money, of comfort, of wealth, of success, of knowledge, of happiness, of enjoyment, of pleasure, of whether you're a slave to Islam or a slave to your own self-fulfillment, whether you followed the false gospel of secularism or the false gospel of Scientology, it really makes no difference at the end of the day. Before Christ, says Paul, we were all slaves to false gods. See, these gospels, they promise much, but all they do is they put us in slavery to a God who can never deliver, who can never meet the promises that he makes. Slavery to a way of life that will actually end with us facing the one true God. And he's the only God that has actually come to us. He's the only God that actually his existence and his miracles and his works and his death and his resurrection is actually attested to by good, clear, hard historical evidence. By many, many people who saw him. Even his enemies didn't deny that he did the amazing miracles that he did. See, Jesus, he is the one who the law was pointing to. He is the one who saves us. He is the one who holds the key to get us out of the slavery that we were in. He is the only good news. And so Paul says, come to Jesus, stay in Jesus, verse 9, and don't turn back to those weak and miserable forces. You were slaves, but you are heirs of the promise. Verse 26, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You are heirs according to the promise. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? For a world where there used to be Jew and Gentile and they were in and they were out, all the barriers are torn down. There's no longer any distinction between Jew and Gentile in Christ. When it comes to salvation and righteousness and being able to stand before God and have him warmly welcome us in to his presence, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female. Because when it comes to Jesus, everyone who trusts him, who calls to him to unlock that gate, everyone who has faith in him is a child of God. 
everyone who has faith in Jesus becomes an heir of the promise that God gave to Abraham. That's amazing. We'll inherit life and glory and blessing. We all have a home by faith in the city and the house where God lives, where there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more sadness, no more anger, no more hate, no more sin, no more slavery. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so I want to finish just by tweaking the question that Paul asks at the end of this passage. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather now that you are known by God, how could you turn back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Brothers and sisters, there's a pull, isn't there? A pull to go back. A pull to go back to those gods, to let them lock us in this slavery. But don't, because God knows you. You know God. You are his son. You are his daughter. You're an heir of the promise. Thank you, Scott. Uh, as we reflect on that amazing love, that amazing story, let's stand together and sing Amazing Love. <laughs>